Hi everyone, welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast. I'm your host, Zebli Delisle. And I'm your other host, Ian Lobb. And uh, yeah, today we're going to be, we've got an actual subject for a podcast for once. Yay. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking all about uh, photography and video, which is actually really, a really important skill, I think, for anyone doing any sort of uh, creative coding installations or... um, you know, or just like any of your side projects or anything, really. It's just a really good skill. I think it's um, it's one of those creative skills that technical people seem to gravitate towards. I think it's the gadgets. I think people just like cameras. They're cool gadgets, right? Yeah, it's definitely the gadgets. It also doesn't require a great deal of manual dexterity, like drawing or painting would. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think it's been really good for me to... I mean, I've been taking photographs all my life. I did photography A-level. <laughs> I did photography A-level as well. Did you? It was darkroom cool. still when I did it. It right, was, yeah, it was probably too. the last days of darkroom. It was great. It was such a good thing. And, um, you know, darkroom time would just go by in an instant. Like, you'd come out and it would be dark outside, you know. <laughs> it was really enjoyable because it's like a really quiet, dark space where you can just, like, focus on your images. And it's a very... um it's like the technical process of doing darkroom photography is very like immersive and it's like one of those things where you get into the flow state right and yeah exactly time would just go mm. did you ever do color darkroom no i just i only ever did black yeah because color is just a whole other yeah level. i mean colors are an order of magnitude trickier because in black and white darkroom we'll get onto modern photography soon i'm sure <laughs> but in um in like black this and white is good background isn't yeah it? it is in black and white darkroom photography so i mean okay so here's how a camera works right you've got the lens uh <laughs> The light goes through the lens, through a little aperture, and it's focused onto the, uh, what do you call that, film? 35, 35mm <laughs> Or different film. sizes. Like the thing, yeah. when I was doing photography, the thing to do would ha- be to have a medium format camera, which is one oh. where the, the actual is that, is that, negative is like... What size is that? Is that 60mm? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's okay. like, it looks about twice the size, I think. And so... You know, that was the equivalent of megapixels back then. Like the bigger your negative was, the bigger, the, the sort of higher the maximum equivalent of resolution, um, which is basically the grain of the film. So, yeah, um, would be. Mm. And obviously there was large format cameras as well, but I never saw one. But yeah, so the light goes in, it hits the um, film. Then you develop the film in some chemicals. It's sort of, you're fixing the film, aren't you, to turn it into negatives? Yeah, like... Because if you just brought the film out, it would carry on getting exposed. Well, that's... Right? Yeah, so but you have to also, you also have to develop it first. When I signed up for A-level photography, I didn't know what a enlarger was. Like, right. I had no idea how the photos actually got onto the paper. Like, and as soon as yeah. I saw an enlarger, it's like, oh, of course it's that. But in my mind, yeah. it's like, do they float off? Is it some sort of transfer? <laughs> Yeah, so so um, anyway, let's finish your explanation. Oh, so sorry. you get the film, yeah, um, and, and in the dark room, right, this is the bit where you have to be in pitch black, isn't it? Yeah, so no, so for black and white photography, you could have red light, it didn't affect anything. Not, not when you're developing the negatives. No, not when you're developing the negatives, but when you are printing, which is the bit mm. where you shine the light from the enlarger through the film onto the photographic paper. So for yeah. colour photography, you're not even allowed any light, you're not even allowed the red light. So you have to yeah. do it completely in pitch black, which is... Did you do that? Did you do um, We had a photographic booth. We had a, sorry, a colour yeah. booth in the photo studio, mm. um, but I never used it because it was just so complicated. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, 
I think manual developing of color photos became quite niche, didn't it? Certainly at that by that sort of stage, you could take they them tend to, to use automatic. Yeah, they tended <laughs> to use automatic. Yeah, but um, you know, a pro photographer printing. in those days would always manually print them. Right. Even yeah. Color. I guess in all the newsrooms and stuff, they'd have all this gear. Well, yeah, because right? you how would you you would do the equivalent of like your color adjustments now. You yeah. would do them in Photoshop then. You did them by shining different amounts of each colour of light through the yeah. through the negative. Oh, we could geek on about black and white photography development as well, couldn't we, for ages? We should do a whole episode about that. No, we shouldn't. We, I think we've done it. <laughs> um, the bits of that that have remained, like, that are still the same in the digital era, is like, the lenses are still the same technology. All the stuff inside the camera is completely different now. Um but the actual well, things like lighting and stuff are still the same. Like that, none of that's changed. Things like composition, mm. obviously, and um, you know, staging and all of those things haven't changed. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I used to spend hours in the darkroom like with black and white photography. You could adjust the contrast uh, using coloured gels. Yeah, that's right. And you right. well, and so different amounts, just the... different amounts of light as well, like shining. Yeah, so it's obviously the different lengths of the light exposure would adjust the brightness, but you could also adjust the contrast using color gels. Yeah. And so I used to spend ages doing all of that, and also you'd do test prints, right? Yeah. So you'd slowly reveal uh, bits of the photo paper, like so <laughs> yeah. you'd have a few seconds with it covered up mostly, and then a few more seconds with a bit more revealed, and then a few more with a bit more revealed. So then you could see which one was the closest to how bright you'd want. Anyway, I, the point is I spent ages doing that. And I think a lot of people now are very nostalgic for uh, for film photography. But actually, you know, as soon as I got my hands on Photoshop, it was a complete delight, right? Yeah. I and mean, obviously there wasn't that meditative aspect to it. But for someone who just wanted to make some cool photos. It's a much simpler <laughs> process. Yeah, like, so yeah. for colour photos, I mean, even in the sort of crossover period between analogue and digital, you could take a nice photo on, um, get it printed in colour, like in Boots or, you know, The Chemist or what do they call them in America? Pho- Pharmacy. Pharm- <laughs> photo- yeah, but one hour photo or whatever. And oh, then yeah, you yeah. could scan that and then you could adjust the colours um, in Photoshop and then reprint it yeah. or you could scan your negatives if you, it was another way of doing it well that's that's how I used to, you know because I was doing a lot of photography in the 90s because I was in a band and I did all the publicity photography myself so we used to rent studios and I even ended up doing photography for some other bands right, right then as well and yeah so then we would always get our photos um, just then it, it, it became popular to, or possible to have them scanned into a cd-rom so rather than get prints i'd just get a cd-rom right, with, all okay. the, with all the photos on. yeah and even when i used other photographers which i did i would always insist on getting the the cd with them on yeah yeah photographers... but it would still be analog film right it would still yes be... exactly there was that crossover period because digital cameras existed but um, they weren't they, they were, were not very good <laughs> like no. the first digital camera that i used i think it was called a sony mavica and you put diskettes into it. You put um, floppy disks into it. Yeah. And it took um, 640 by 480 resolution grainy pictures onto... F- and you could put 10 on a floppy disk. Didn't one of the early Game Boys have a camera? The ga- well, there was, a, there was a Game Boy camera add-on, yeah, for the original yeah. Game Boy. It was black and white. That was, that was and pretty, it had a printer as well. Cool. 
Yeah. Was it just like a thermal printer? Oh, uh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Amazing. Anyway, let's um, <laughs> get, <laughs> get back on, on track. So, I mean, you say that there's a lot of similarities um, between analog film and lenses. And I suppose in principle, it's essentially like going through a lens and onto something. Yeah. And that thing is now a digital thing, a sensor. It's called a CCD. Is that right? Is it still called that? Yeah, the CCD is, is one type, isn't it? Um, but I can't remember what it stands for. And I think there's like CMOS as well. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't, does it matter? No. Maybe, <laughs> well, maybe it does. If we want to be, we've never been too, <laughs> too full of the information on, on this show, have we? Anyway, um, I think what has been really, uh, groundbreaking is the miniaturization of, of cameras. Yeah. You know, just, just in, in terms of, you know, smartphone cameras, which are kind of, spectacular they're very good aren't they yeah they're, they're really spectacular but it's hard to take like pro looking photos on a camera phone i think i'm not sure that's true um okay some of the main reasons are like doing telephoto type things which is yeah quite an important part of photography you can't do some types of photography if you're taking f- photos at a conference or a football game or whatever you want to be able to be far away from the subject and zoom in on them and take a photo. Yeah. You obviously can't do that on a flat camera. True. Um, True. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and also with, with, well, you probably remember the big deal that Apple made about their double lens camera right. to, for portrait photography. Is that to get depth of field? Yeah. What do they call it? Bokeh or Bokeh? B-O-K-E-H. Is Invoca purely just when it's little lights? I don't think it is. I've seen it refer to any sort of blurry background, but I think it I think it, it initially used to just be sparkly blurry lights in the background, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, so one of the main things that like can make a portrait photo look more professional is to have a low depth of field. So basically either only the person's face or sometimes only even part of the person's face is in focus yeah. and everything else is blurred. And what that does is it, just helps to concentrate the the sort of focus of the image yeah it looks really nice it's always been a problem to get that on consumer technology for example old video cameras it was really really hard to get it the only way to do it was to like go really far away and then zoom in so so the more the more zoomed in you are the the more the background tends to blur but we'll we'll come to that i think on a a camera with manual settings you set the aperture down to something really low um, yeah what? really wide aperture yeah exactly so um yeah so the wider the aperture the the, the shallower the, or the narrower depth of field that you'll get you know so a limited range will be in focus and the wider the aperture is the the less range of focused distances that will be yep oh, i didn't explain that very well but you got the you got the point <laughs> yeah. so with smaller lenses and particularly like the mini iphone and smartphone lenses you tend to have quite a, a you know, a, a, a wide range of focus. Yep. I mean, it tends, it's very difficult to get blurry backgrounds unless you do what Apple did with their clever double camera thing. They're, they're doing it in software. Is it good? Uh, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's, I've, I've read some things by photographers that say that it can be, that often it's just great. Awesome. So that's, that's cool. And I think we're going to see more of that kind of software processed photographs mm. uh, in the future but let's let's um let's start at the beginning 
Okay. Because <laughs> I have kind of got a vague structure for this. Okay. And I think you have as well, haven't we? So they're probably completely they're, different. They're completely <laughs> incompatible. But what I, what I was going to talk about, with, I was going to start with, um, which we've pretty much done, I was going to start with, you know, what you can do with an iPhone and what sort of skills you need to develop, even just with those. Oh, okay. That's actually a really interesting topic. So what would you say you can do with an iPhone? Well, I think there are some really important skills that you need. I think we've sort of, we've glossed over these a little bit already that you don't need a good camera for. And that's framing, composition, if you're talking about photography and video. But specifically with video, you know, you need to understand how to edit video yep. to make it work, to make it tell a story. And that's that's the sort of basics, right? In the 90s, I did a video production course that was like an evening class like adults uh courses and i learned a lot there about how to well you know astonishingly we were using um i think there were three machine edit suites vhs right it'd be tape to tape you'd basically be in tape to tape vhs editing was the absolute worst it was so awful it was just awful but what that taught me was how to uh, how to make things work from shot to shot, yeah. You know, um, particularly for narrative, and I guess that's less relevant for, you know, if I'm doing a product or an, an installation video, it's going to be more like a sort of showcase or a showreel. It's not. It doesn't necessarily need to make sense from one shot to the next, but still, there's going to be the dynamics, the energy of it. You know, starting with a wide shot, or or even if you want to be creative, you could start with a really close up shot. So you can't really see exactly what's going on. So it piques the viewer's interest, you know. So there's those sort of creative decisions and getting those narrative things across. I mean, I think that it's it was just fun to do a video production course or, you know, and I suppose there's loads of stuff now, isn't there, online even. The structure of filmmaking um, in the digital age or video making, let's call it, is like yeah. definitely changing because when I was at university, you know, or especially when I was at college and, you know, college media studies type stuff. That's the equivalent of like the last two years of high school for international people, if that makes sense. You know, it was all about narrative uh, stuff, short films in the classic short narrative film thing. Whereas now things are much more like vlogs, little just doing crazy, filming a stunt. You know, it's it's a completely different, like the fourth wall is down, definitely. Like yeah. no one's... You know, most people are not doing fiction type stuff now. Everyone's just talking into the camera. Here's something wacky I'm going to do. And then you do it and then you play it again in slow motion. Um, and then you go, that's what I did. And, <laughs> and, you know, and that is in a way it's I like it. It's more honest. It's less yeah. pretentious. We're it's very in a, authentic. We're in a more authentic age where you just yeah. say what you want to say and you say it. And then that's, yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. So, I mean, I guess for stuff like that, it's it's more about your instincts isn't it as a presenter almost and yeah but yeah exactly I, I mean that's the thing it's like if you want to be like a vlogger or whatever I mean we're getting a bit away from photography and stuff but like one of the main skills is just to, is your personality isn't it it's you're doing a performance <laughs> yeah. right you're yeah you know and and people who like youtubers and streamers who you know their job is that they play video games it's like their job <laughs> actually isn't playing video games like they're entertainers no. and the the video games aspect is just like that's just a hook that's just something to give them some content while they actually just do like a, a comedy performance or a you know some sort of discussion yeah I do I mean I do think that's very relevant to this as well and you know you can get started doing stuff like that 
pretty easily, can't you? I think it's the and the reason I like iPhones for for video and photography is just because of how accessible it is. Yeah, you know, everyone's got a incredibly high quality production studio in their pocket. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, the mic. I think is, the mic is really decent. The mic's good, although you know. Well, we could probably do a whole episode on sound, but you'll get vastly improved results if you use a clip-on mic right, for those yeah. things. And actually, the sound can betray you often more than the video. Sure. Um, but that's probably out of the scope. I mean, this was always a problem with video, is that to get the best quality audio of someone, you want to have the mic no more than a couple of feet from their face. Yeah, or you can get those shotgun mics, which are very directional. You know, when I worked for a TV company, um, one of the jobs that I did was holding the boom pole. <laughs> so, and I wasn't very, I was not very strong either. So it was actually very hard work for me to just Ugh. hold this pole in the air for like yeah. 20 minutes at a time while they recorded and it always had to be just out of shot. And the director would yeah. give me like a funny look, like just move that out of the way, please. It's dipping. really hard, <laughs> really hard. But actually that, you know, that will instantly, if your sound isn't right, it will instantly just make your video rubbish. That is, usable. that's definitely true. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can get away with, you can fix a lot more in, in vision than in sound subsequently. Anyway, where was I? Yes. So we were saying that, uh, get used to framing composition, telling a story with editing. And of course we've discussed the differences between the sort of films that we're likely to make and the sort of short film narrative, but it's still good to understand things, you know, like, just simple things like if someone's running across the screen you know leave some space on the side they're running into yeah I mean, you can be creative and, and and deliberately break that but it's good to just be aware of another really good tip is just the overlapping audio thing when you edit mm. so yeah when you cut don't cut the audio at the same time as the image either yeah. let the audio keep playing over the new shot or the other way around so bring in the audio of the shot you're about to go to before you go to it and yeah. then you can basically just break up some of the it just smooths it all together basically and it, it makes it more seamless yeah Absolutely. And, and even for the sort of filmmaking that I'm talking about, which is essentially showcasing your installation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still want to do that. Like, say you've got three different shots of your, you know, Internet of Things gadget that you've made, right, that you've got on display. Each one is going to have like a different room tone that yeah. they're all going to sound different. If you just cut between them, it's going to go mm, 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 like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if really you just does. use the room tone from just one of the shots, say, or you blend them nicely, you're not going to have that. And I think we talked about this during our um, game design one as well, didn't we? But it's very acceptable to see something far away and hear it as though it's really close. Yeah, yeah we did talk right, so about that's that. That's totally acceptable. Um, so, yeah, I think get those skills under your belt using your phone get used to working with iMovie at first and then maybe upgrade to Final Cut or Premiere if you want but I think it's pretty much fine if you've got enough light and you've got a really steady hand uh, then I think you can get some good footage and of course it helps if you get tripods and adapters and stuff like that but actually um, well certainly the iPhone lights but most phones have got a uh, stabilization built in which is pretty good i'll tell you what rig what rig i've got for my iphone i've got um yeah a selfie stick self yeah. self-portrait monopod which cost me about yeah. seven pounds i think it was half price or something and it's really nice because it's got a cradle for the um actual phone the cradle is detachable and it's got a tripod mount head 
So you can unscrew the cradle and screw that onto a tripod. Yeah. And so you can use it as a selfie stick. And like I've seen some really fun videos that people have done using the selfie stick where you can just walk around with the phone out in front of you and you can just sort of narrate um, what you're doing as you walk around or, you know, just use it as a use the outside world as a backdrop for like some talking to camera. And then you also yeah can just screw it onto a tripod if you just want a static shot rather than having to try and prop your phone up against a book or something you know i saw a video on youtube recently uh, by my friend matt parker stand up maths he did a um a piece to camera on a bridge in uh boston i think it was right and so that was it looked like it was a selfie stick it was done with a gopro i think but it was really weird because at one point um it the the camera sort of just he just put it he just let go of it and it stayed where it was (laughs) and I was like well how did you do that and I later found out that it actually had a magnetic clamp on it right and he just stuck it to a bit of railing right you know so there's stuff like that you can do and if you want to get really crazy um there are actually gimbals that you can get for your iPhone so a gimbal is uh, a stabilizer with with motors on and and accelerometers and gyros and stuff like that and you can get incredibly high quality uh, steady cam like shots with one of these and it's often they're very small often they're just like a selfie stick with a bit of extra you know mechanics where it attaches to the phone and you know often they're used yep. for gopros um there you can get sort of cheapish ones for maybe i mean they're quite expensive you know two to four hundred pounds but if you're doing stuff in a lot of light uh, or if a lot of stuff with action, uh, you can get some really, really seriously high quality stuff with that. And then with that, if you're only using an iPhone, you can get some pretty high quality uh, wide lenses like the, is was there one called the Olo Clip? I think that's the high oh. quality one. Again, like 100 quid, but you can get cheap, nasty lenses for like 10 quid that are perfectly fine and fun. So it's just if you wanted to try it out, you could do that, but then move up then of course if you did want something slightly better quality and you've got plenty of light then you can go up to you know um the the small uh gopros which are which are great for action stuff and wide angle so anyway so we've got the um creative skills of composition and editing storytelling uh and editing software uh, and it's fine if you've got enough light and a steady hand you can use gimbals and selfie sticks and tripod adapters and lenses to help then of course we get to the sort of creative side of the editing process so for film that would be adjusting all the levels for i mean for photography it would be adjusting levels and color balance and possibly filters and stuff for video it's similar but they call it color grading and color correction uh, which is essentially fixing or or even changing the color of the film to look to give you a certain effect and you you know I I first encountered this stuff with Photoshop right the levels thing hue saturation all that stuff uh, color balance and I found that you can really push it quite Mm. far right you can you can make quite extreme things but because you've seen it how it is in your mind it's like totally weirdly colored now but actually people's brains do just adjust for color so it can give really nice creative effects example of this is that i did uh, i did the photography at full front of right. ff conf the last two years in a row and i was just using my canon dslr which isn't 
brilliant in low light and there's literally no light <laughs> at ff conf yeah some there's conferences like, are no really dark like they don't even like the stage really like everyone presents essentially in the dark right yeah well they do like the stage but it's very it's difficult lighting because it's very stark on one side and very dark on the other because it's in an old cinema which is a beautiful building um but it's dark speakers right? also so, complain if you like the it's... stage too much because they go, oh, I couldn't see that. Because they yeah, can't they see feel. the audience. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> what I tend to do is if if I, I ask that the um, house lights are up a little right. bit. And then you can see you know, the audience, yeah. That's, yeah, that that's a better solution. And I think, and actually, I mean, I guess it depends on the tone of the conference. But, you know, certainly at FFConf, I think the last couple of years they've left the lights on a bit during the talks. And it helps because if you're in a dark cinema... It's a long day, you know. You can get yeah. a bit sleepy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been very sleepy <laughs> anyway. at conferences, especially because conferences tend to have late nights um, at the bar somehow wedged into yeah. them. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes yeah, everyone course. looks just so tired. Anyway, to finish what I was saying, uh, so the the photographs I had to boost the ISO up quite high. We can have a whole conversation about ISO, right? Um, and how it was in film. But essentially, how sensitive the yeah, so basically, like you, and you can boost the more, uh, the higher the ISO, the more noisy your image, but the lower light you can shoot in. Yeah, and in in old school organic film, analog film, uh, you would call that a yep. fast film if it had a higher number because you could shoot, you could open the shutter for a shorter yeah. amount of time. It wouldn't need as much light. Yeah, like to the, the typical film the used negative. by people on consumer things back then was like a 400 film which would have which is pretty fast film like that was designed where if you just took something with a single bulb like a single light you would st- see something in the image whereas if you used like if you used like the 200 or 100 film that like we used to use in photography class if you tried to take a photo just in your living room without a flash or anything probably nothing would come out i remember when i was first starting with photography it was very you know, 100 and 200 were the popular ones. They were the ones that were in boots. If you wanted 400 or 800, you'd have to go to the photo oh, really? camera shop, right? So, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that changed probably a little bit as uh, 400 and 800 became more accessible. I don't know. That was my impression anyway. Um, but, yeah, 800 in particular would perform pretty well in low light. But, yeah, you'd get more graininess. It, it, it wasn't great. Um and and it's funny that we've continued that with digital cameras. So obviously the ISO is is kind of an electronic thing, right? It's like how much that the light going to the center is the same is numbers as the analog equivalent would have been. Yeah. So my Canon, I was taking pictures at FF Comfort about sixteen hundred, which I guess would be the equivalent of in terms of the, how much noise there was. It would probably be equivalent to analog film at right. four eight hundred. You know, but there was still quite a lot of noise. But instead of being upset about that or trying to produce natural looking images, I just put loads of filters on it, you know, and, we've, and so I, I made creative choices that were quite bold. You know, like lomography. So that was the whole yeah. process of basically using colour to make interesting images with bad quality cameras essentially and plastic lenses um i i even bought a plastic <laughs> lens for my camera right. canon uh it was a um what was it i think it was a lomo lens i think they call them um yes what was i going to say yeah so there are sort of creative decisions that you can make you can stretch things to look slightly unreal and it but your mind i mean it just sort of looks cool 
Um, there's a. I actually tend to use photos for Mac for most of my photo editing. It's not the most powerful thing ever, but I like how it can. I can very very quickly edit a lot of photos in that, and it's all in my library and stuff. I guess most professional photographers use uh, things like Aperture or what's the what's the Photoshop like Lightroom? Yeah, Lightroom, um, and all of those things are, are really good. I wanted to mention one of the filters, which is uh, cross-processing, right. which when I was in a band, I and I would hire um, f- photographers. There was even quite a famous one. I think he was called Steve Double. And he, you know, he was quite a famous music photographer. Um, and he would use cross-processing, which is essentially taking photos with yeah. slide film and processing them as though they were yeah. ordinary film. And you'd get this weird distortion of colours. They tend to look quite blue. Um, and now, of course, that's a button <laughs> yeah. in Instagram or or photos for Mac or whatever. So, yeah, so I wouldn't be afraid to... It's interesting how you can be creative with the technical side, right? And how you can push that colour correction. You can solve a lot of problems with the footage by just making it a slightly more extreme look. And that's what I did with FFConf. So when you came out of FFConf and you looked at your photos, were you underwhelmed? Well, you know, I was kind of, I was editing them and posting them as I was taking them. Quickly, like boosting the levels and doing something with the colour and then just chucking it out. And deleting all that, you know, I I try and work very, very quickly. Because otherwise, if you don't edit your photos immediately... Something we talk about is the fact of just like shooting loads and loads of photos is just one of the best things you can do because you never know exactly especially if you're taking photos of like a human subject or animal uh, or just anything that's happening well and especially while while you're learning as well um i think the very best there's no doubt that the very best photographers can be very efficient and just catch it you know to get that sort of level of experience requires the sort of uh, mythical 10,000 hours of if practice. You, you know, um, a modern professional photographer like a paparazzi or a war photographer or whatever, yeah. they have oh, like yeah. a machine gun style shutter that just goes digga, 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 right? It takes, <laughs> yeah. takes more than yeah, yeah. like several photos per second. So they're not waiting for the perfect moment. What they're doing is they're putting themselves in the right position, yeah. framing the shot how they yes. want it, and then just firing off load, get that moment when it happens yeah yeah i mean there are definitely professional photographers that are like that i guess i'm saying that there are some that are, are very selective and skilled at catching a moment but yeah i'm not talking about paparazzi at no point, but i mean right? anyone who any or um, you know or news photographers like people who are taking photos of things yeah. that, are, that happen once for a very short space of time yeah yeah and and i guess it's important to point out that that was the case before digital as well for those sorts of photographers the only difference was they'd have uh, auto wind mechanisms on their camera uh, and they'd often have two or three cameras so they wouldn't have to keep reloading. And they probably would have an assistant changing the film. They'd have an assistant who would be changing the film for them. So it's interesting to think that what only professional photographers with budgets used to be able to yeah. do, we can all do yeah. now on our iPhone. And yeah, actually... I mean, it's, to, take, to take 36 photos used to cost about £10. <laughs> For the film oh, yeah. and developing, absolutely, at least ten pounds. Yeah. Now it's essentially free once you own the equipment, which is which is you know absolutely not, not insignificant change. And it's absolutely my technique to take a lot of pictures. You know that's uh, which is essential, really. And like I say, especially when you're learning. Uh, there's a couple of bits of iPhone software I'd like to mention. 
um, for for kind of giving you more access to some of the right. settings on your phone. Um, there's, you know, there's and there's loads of them. There's loads of others, but the two that I've tried and think are pretty good um, for stills is Camera Plus. Uh, so you can adjust all of the, you can adjust the ISO, you can adjust the shutter speed, you can adjust the aperture, uh, and you can adjust the focus. So you've got mm-hmm. full control. And that can be kind of useful. I think most of the time it does a pretty good job of automatic stuff. But if you did just want a bit more control. The other one I've got is called Filmic Pro, which mm-hmm. is for video. And that's, I think there are, the benefits of that are much more obvious than with Camera Plus. You've got lots of control. I think with um, iPhone, if you're doing something uh, which is, you know, a fixed shot with someone there, you don't really want it to lose focus or jump around or change the the yep. light, right? As you move outside of a window, you don't want it to suddenly get... Or if you move away from in front of a window, you don't want it to right. suddenly get dark. You know, you, so, so with Filmic Pro, you can adjust all of those things. The other thing about... Uh, iPhone video is that it crops so you don't get the full right field you don't get the full sensor when you're doing video I think that's because of the stabilization so obviously if it's if it, it can move around that at the sensor to compensate for the jerkiness of your right your hand movement um, but Filmic Pro will let you disable that so you get the full the full wide image lens so obviously if you're on a tripod it doesn't matter about stabilization so uh, so if you want the full uh yeah the full wide angle of that lens you can turn it off so they're both pretty good while i'm talking about post-production there's quite a good um plugin that i found recently hang on let me just see if i can find it film so it's called film convert and it has lots of color profiles for all popular cameras including the iphone so it can automatically just um color correct the sensors on those but it can also simulate a vast array of analog film so it it can really make your stuff look really good so an example of how i've used iphones in the past is with uh, with my project in 2012 lunar trails I was in Dublin and I didn't bring my SLR because I was limited for space. So all the footage I took was just on my iPhone. And that was before I knew about any of this software. And I think it was probably an iPhone 4. So it wasn't even the latest quality cameras. And the film that I got is actually reasonably good. Um, and you'll see, in, if you look at the video, it's on Vimeo. Um, it is It is a little bit grainy, but I've sort of boosted the contrast a bit to give it a slightly more filmic sort of um style and that that kind of makes the graininess a bit better so i think with some careful camera work you can get away with quite a lot okay so i guess the question is and and it's kind of bizarre that this is a question but how how do you need to upgrade in order to get better quality than your phone (laughs) um where things we've touched on right there's things like being able to have yeah. a zoom lens or a telephoto lens that can get you closer to the subject without actually having to physically move that is probably the biggest yeah. one yeah although for the sort of projects videography that we're talking about today that's not you're not going to really need to zoom in if anything you'll need a wider lens well you know just say you're photographing 
like something you've made, like a physical object, you're, you're going to get a much better photo from like a proper camera with a proper lens. Things like the depth of field we talked about. What am I trying to say? I don't know. You need both, basically, I guess is the thing. You need to be able to have that stuff when you need it. I think that once you get to the point where you want to try to improve the production quality of your images, then yeah, you probably do. But I think if it's a side thing, if it's not your main job, I think you can probably get away with it for quite a long time. There are some exceptions though, right? So with a lot of my projects are in the dark. Sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? So that's the point where you maybe need some more specialist equipment. No, but then just like, just say you want to do a YouTube channel yeah. or something, right? You Even a camera like a, a cheaper DSLR, one that costs about 400 pounds or something which is about the same as the iphone is going to give you a way nicer image than you get off an iphone like it just it <clears> just looks so much better so yeah. if you combine that with some lights professional lights um that's the other big thing i think that will make your especially if you're doing so so you're talking about youtube and, stuff yeah. yeah youtube or you know if you want to take a nice like profile picture for your social networking or for facebook or you yeah. know for um your business website yeah i mean i guess we're trying to generalize here but there are a vast array of different sort of requirements for the different styles like for shooting portrait photographs you need a, a different lens and different lighting from if you're shooting a youtube video or if you're just shooting landscapes or if you're shooting wildlife or if you're shooting your projects in a gallery or if you're shooting your outdoor laser projects you know all of these things need kind of different requirements um you know while we're on youtube videos yeah there it's going to be good if you can get a dslr but actually you know there's a really nice logitech webcam that i've got that does really pretty nice quality you absolutely if you're doing a youtube channel you absolutely shouldn't use a webcam okay well i'm going to massively disagree with you there because you've <laughs> got to check out the logitech uh c920 i think it is it's 1920 by 1080. It's got a pretty good lens on it. It's um, it's quite wide. It's about 80 pounds. Uh, I mean, of course, if you get high-end gear, you're going to get marginally improved results. But that's not really the question here. The question is, is it good enough? And with good lighting, I would I would argue that this Logitech camera can do good enough film for YouTube. Certainly for the price. I think something like equivalent of like a 600d canon 600d camera will give you like way better looking stuff well i've i i had a 600d until very recently and that is sort of true <laughs> what you said is true um but it's not un with it's not without qualifications right the the kit lens on those canons are pretty nasty um they they are quite difficult to work with the video um, the different video uh, formats are not great on those, um, but with a good lens and with some know-how, yeah, you're right, you would get better footage. But at that point, you're spending, what, 500 quid? I'm not sure they're as much as that, but yeah. well, you can. There are there are like entry level DSLRs that will basically they will look better than a webcam. Yeah, it's like it's more money. You know, yeah. it depends. It depends how seriously, I guess, you're taking what you're doing. Even the cheapest half decent DSLR, probably three hundred pounds with the kit lens, which aren't are usually pretty nasty, to be honest. So, 
Yeah, but you're but we're comparing versus a webcam. Yeah, I am comparing versus a webcam, and I would say that on on that Logitech, I'm say, I'm not saying that it's not better <laughs> with a cheap <laughs> DSLR because it is better, but how much better? What you're talking about is up to the person, isn't yeah. it? That is for them it's to like, decide. I, I I I think you can perfectly adequately shoot a YouTube video with a Logitech webcam. Well, you, I mean, you with can you can lighting. do one with an iPhone and it will look fine. No, but it will look better than, than with this Logitech than on an iPhone. Okay. Right. So, um, and and actually, probably the more important thing is light. To be honest, with good lighting, you'll yeah, get a good really lighting good. Is super you'll important. get a really good result. The next level up is probably four hundred pounds for a DSLR. So it's like 70, 80 quid versus four hundred pounds. Is it four times better? No. Is it a bit better? Yes. Right. So is it is it so much better that you can't do a video with your Logitech or iPhone? No, it's not. You can. So I guess there's that danger that you think, oh, if only I had a better camera, I'd do a YouTube video. And you just. Well, I mean, you people watch YouTube for the content yeah. anyway. It's not it's nothing to do with the <laughs> like the cameras. But well, th- that's true to an extent. I mean, that's why that's why like that's the whole I guess something we haven't really touched on with photography is that a lot of it is it is overkill, isn't it? It's prosumer type people basically yeah. who want really amazing professional looking stuff even if they don't need it even if it's actually completely unnecessary for what they're doing which is like their family photos or uh, you know their photos for facebook i don't know if that's really lunch. the points that i'm making because right. i i do like to aim for high production levels you know and i and i'll get to this in a minute i've just invested a hell of a lot of money in... Yeah, well, let's let's get to it now. So let's talk about your new camera because okay. I find it fascinating. <laughs> the next level up of cameras is like compact cameras under two hundred pounds. Really, no point. They're no better than iPhones. DSLRs we've mentioned the sort of entry level three four hundred pounds you can get. There's a Canon. Uh, my niece just got one that was pretty nice. Can do pretty decent video. Um, kit lens probably. I think it's like an 18 to 55, something like that. So reasonably wide, reasonably zoomed, um, cheap though. You know, with those sort of DSLRs, it's always going to be beneficial to get to upgrade your lenses. Um, also, yeah, for doing anything at home or portraiture video, lighting is really important. We can talk about that maybe another time. And, and then I, I suppose we could move to mirrorless as well. I, I actually bought a mirrorless camera. So a DSLR is a digital SLR. Do you know what SLR stands for? Single lens reflex. Yeah, something like that. Was, yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Um, and that means that it's got a mirror inside it that angles the image up into your viewfinder while you're looking through the viewfinder. And when you take the picture, the mirror flips out the way and lets the image go onto the sensor. There's a new type of camera called mirrorless, which doesn't have a mirror. Instead, when you look through the viewfinder, it's got a tiny little screen in there an electronic viewfinder, EVF. And until recently, those were pretty rubbish. But now technology's come along and get some really good mirrorless cameras with really nice um, screens, electronic viewfinders in the in the viewfinder, yeah. And the benefit with mirrorless is that they're smaller, right? They don't have all that bulkiness. And then, of course, there's the sensor size as well, which also has an impact. So there's, I think there's sort of three main kind of sensor sizes um there's the i think it's called aps-c which is the standard sort of size it's a bit smaller than 35 mil 
it's the standard in Canon cameras, I think in Nikons as well. But then there's an even smaller one called Micro Four Thirds, which is in the Panasonics and Olympuses, I think. Um, but the thing is, is that the smaller the sensor gets, the less you get that nice depth of field that we're talking about, right? Mm. Yeah, so, which was always the problem with like VHS camcorders and things like that. Yeah, the, the exactly. Tiny sensors. So if you want to get that real high standard and and use all the traditional types of lenses that you'd use with 35mm film and video and film, you know, photo, photography and motion film, um, then a 35mm sensor is really beneficial. There aren't that many cameras that have a 35mm sensor. The famous Canon is the 5D. I think there's a Nikon as well. Um, but they're massive. They're very expensive. You know, they're two grand or something like that. Three grand, maybe just the body. I would probably want to get one of those because they're really good in low light, um, and they're they're real amazing machines. They're robust, and the videographer that I work with on Pixel Pyros, on all of that footage, uh, uses a five D, and the footage is incredible. You know, really high performance in low light. But yeah, they're expensive and bulky. So I did look into mirrorless. Um, to cut a long story short, I, you know, I researched all the mirrorless ones. There's famous Panasonic video cameras called the GH4, and now they've just brought out the GH5, which I, um, and they're very popular amongst videographers because they've got a lot of cap technical capability in terms of recording. But they've got this micro four thirds sensor, which is a quarter of the size of 35 mil, and none of the footage I've seen on them, I just don't. It just doesn't look nice. I think you can get lens adapters and decent lenses but I don't know it just didn't feel right so in the end I found the Sony a7 series which is a mirrorless camera quite a compact body with a 35 mil sensor they call it full frame when it's 35 mil right now the thing about the a7s is that they are really expensive there's and there's about there's the a7s the a7r and the a7 the a7 is sort of cheaper for um, photographers primarily the a7r is really high resolution uh, for videographers and photographers and the a7s is lower resolution but it's incredibly sensitive to low light it's incredibly good at low light um, so of course when i saw that i thought oh my god i've got to get that because it's all of my projects are in low light and it can literally see in the dark it's quite spectacular but the only problem is is that the new version of the A7S, the Mark II, is £2,800 just for the body. <laughs> That's not even with a lens. And for a half-decent lens, it's like another £800 probably for a yeah. zoom lens. So, you know, it's like three and a half grand, and it's like I don't really have that sort of money. Um, so I was going back and forth, and there was the Fujifilm one that I really loved, although that's APS-C, so not full frame. But Fuji's got great lenses, um, and it's a really nice the Fuji um, X-T2. It's got a beautiful camera. It's like really old school looking with all the nicely machined dials and does um, 4K video and stuff like that. So I really wanted that, but I just it was just a bit too inflexible in low light. In the end, I found an A7S Mark One, the old version which doesn't do 4K internally, 4K video internally, but it's got all the amazing low light capabilities that the A7S Mark II has. So I found that secondhand in a shop and then I spent an inordinate amount on lenses <laughs> on top of that. 
Uh, so I've got a 50mm prime lens, which is 1.8. So that's great for for portraits, right? It's not it's not really zoomed in, so it's not zoomed in as you'd probably use maybe a 70mm or something like that for a portrait. Um, but 50mm is quite a nice sort of normal-ish looking, um, you know, zoom value. Um, and but it's got it goes to 1.8, and on the full frame sensors, those wider apertures you get even more benefit of uh, because the you know the the depth of field is so such a narrow range um so yeah I could do some really beautiful stuff with that and then I also got a uh 24 to 70 zoom which is right so good. you showed me some footage which was taken with the model of camera that you've got that was filmed on Brighton Beach right yeah and it's like really dark Mm-hmm. It's almost like nighttime, and then the video yeah. looks amazing. It almost looks brighter than it would have been if you were there. Yeah, it does. I, you know, immediately. Well, I, I took a picture. I woke up really early a couple of weeks ago, and looked out over the sea. I've got such a great view from my flat, <laughs> and the moon was rising, and there were some stars, and I thought, oh, wow, that's great. So I got my camera, took a picture, and it was way brighter in my camera than it was. In, from your my eyes because it's normally the reverse <laughs> problem like i've seen some amazing sunrises like from the train um in the morning like if i'm going to london or something and then okay god take a photo of that it's amazing you take a photo it's just black it just yeah, you can't just, see anything rubbish. it just doesn't come um, out so that's yeah it is spectacular you can push it up to twelve thousand eight hundred iso um and it's a bit noisy but that's sort of equivalent to my canon on 3200 or 6400 so and what are you going to do with this camera well uh i do enjoy photography anyway um but i do always take photographs of my work so i've been working on a a a project with a plotter so i've been taking lots of pictures of that with it and bits of video with that um but i'm installing laser light synths in aberdeen in february so i'm going to be hoping to get some better footage of that because the videographer i hired for laser light since the last time it was installed used panasonic gear so it was this micro four thirds and he's a he's a good camera guy but it just i don't know i don't know what it is about the four thirds thing i mean obviously it can be difficult to be a videographer and the person in charge of um, (laughs) running the thing but you know usually i would spend 500 pounds on a videographer for yeah for, for a thing and that's with me editing it right so with an edit it's going to be a couple of grand so i guess that's one of the points with all of this really is that certainly while you're getting started if you are doing experiments and little things at home or youtube videos or whatever you, well you sort of need to know how to do it right you can't yeah. hire a cameraman <laughs> just to take a picture of this weird little no. hack that you did <laughs> And yeah. and really, with all of my projects, thousands and thousands of more people will see my projects on the internet than will see it in real life. Yeah, absolutely. So in a way, the video is the project. <laughs> yeah, 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 completely. So that's why I, I spend so much time and energy and money developing these skills. Well, I hope this has been helpful to people who are sort of interested in photographic things. Um, yes i think you know my main takeaways would just be take loads of photos because <laughs> one you'll get better at it right yeah and two absolutely. you'll have more options when you come to choose one to take like if i'm going to take a photo of someone's portrait i take like 50 photos 
Yeah. I pick the best one. Yeah. But there is, I think there is some, some technical stuff as well in there to learn, particularly for, for for portraits. I mean, there's endless photography is as complex as programming in terms of the amount of stuff there is to know. Right. Yeah. But there's some, there's some really base, you know, there's, you don't need, I don't think you need a ton of information. No, you know what I'm saying? I think the main ones are just like, if you keep, if you keep looking to try and get better, you'll keep finding more and more things and go, Oh my God, I thought my equipment was good, but it's not even remotely good. Look at this other thing. Yeah. And, And I guess that's really why I was trying to persuade you and our listeners that cheap gear is often good enough because it's very, very easy, especially for people like me and probably you as well, to think, oh, if only I had this slightly better bit of technical gear, then yeah. I could do something brilliant. And really, no. you know, it's a cliche, but the best camera you've got is the one that you're holding, right? Right. It's it's like, it's more important to have a camera than no camera. And if you, you can get good results with whatever you've got. Yeah. If you exactly. just make the right creative decisions. So Absolutely. Cool. Well, yeah, but let us know what you think. Any questions, any comments? Have you learned to take pictures and videos of your work? Yeah, if you've got any photography tips, yeah. chuck them in. That sounds good. Yep, and cool. We hope to hear from you. Um, thanks for listening to the Creative Coding Podcast. Our Twitter account is cc underscore pod. Our website is ccpod.co. And... Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash creativecoding. So please go and support the show if you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Thanks a very a fact-based episode, isn't it? This is you because the thing is though that you I thought we were doing a like a general photography tips thing, but you know you have so much technical knowledge about yeah. all the different serial numbers and things. <laughs> I I didn't go into the half of it. I mean <laughs> if you look at it if you start researching it, it's a right rabbit hole. I mean even things like the video formats and you know, we didn't even cover like things like 4K, you know, how important is 4K? Is it even worth it? You know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So, and then there's all the different video recording formats, all the different color profiles. I mean, it's it's insanely complex, but on the surface of it, yeah, just open the aperture up and get a nice blurry background. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Blurry background to the wind. Cool. Thanks a lot for listening. See you next time on the Creative Coding Podcast. Goodbye.